Hey there, I'm Emlyn Miles Mattingly, your host for the Minority Money Podcast. I'm glad you're here. You know why? Because this is the place you can come to get your weekly finance, family, and fitness motivation, not only to experience success in those areas for yourself, but also to help others in our community achieve greatness too. Super happy that you're on the show with me. So let's jump right in. Welcome back to the Minority Money Podcast. I am your host, Emlyn Miles Mattingly, where we are changing the complexion of wealth. Hope you've been enjoying the show lately. If you're a new listener, welcome to the show. We enjoy having new people listen to the show and we thank you for coming. If you're an old listener, get ready. You already know we're bringing some fire today. It's just going to be a great show. So we had a couple series go on for us. Last month, we did some things around women. We did Women's History Month. If you hadn't checked anything in the month of March, please go back and check out some of those episodes. We have some fire episodes there with some incredible women doing some great things. And then we had financial education all during the month of April. So it was financial literacy month is what they call it. We don't like the way financial literacy sounds here at Minority Money. So we call it financial education because literacy makes it sound like it's just something you have to do once. After you learn how to read, you don't have to keep doing anything. But education implies that it's a continual learning process. And that's what we want your relationship with your money to be, a continual learning process. So if you did not have a chance to listen to those educational episodes for the month of April, please, please go back and listen to those. And today, as I said, you are in for a treat. We have been trying to get her on. We just had schedule conflict for some time. I think it's going to be well worth the wait. I am excited about this conversation. And today we are joined by Anjali Jarawala. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Emlyn, for having me. I'm excited to be on. Yeah. So we met like maybe a couple of years ago. I mean, it had to be like, well, COVID year doesn't even count. Pre-COVID. Like, but pre- sure. like, so 2020 doesn't even count. So we just got, we know we got at least one year under the belt because we knew each other before that. But I remember we spoke a few times and I just love the work that you were doing. I know you were you had a podcast, love the work there and just wanted to have you on. And for the people that don't know you and haven't had a chance to admire the work that you do, can you please tell them a little bit about who you are? Sure. So I describe myself as a career changer. So I started my career in tax. I was working at PwC for almost seven years and got pretty sick and tired of working 80 hour weeks and decided, what can I do? What can I do leveraging kind of my background and my experience that I had? So I transitioned to planning, I want to say about nine years ago, worked for a traditional large RIA, wasn't a good fit for me, wanted to serve people my age group, people similar to my husband and myself, right? We work with a lot of immigrants, children of immigrants, young couples with families trying to build wealth. And so I decided to start my own firm, Fit Advisors, which will turn seven years old this in in actually a few weeks. So here I am, as Emily mentioned, I have a podcast that I took a pause from still deciding whether to go back into it. It's called Money Checkup. And I had that for about a year and a half. So here I am today. Nice, nice. So, you know, I always love having other podcasters on because there's a lot of work that goes into the podcast, a lot of thought, a lot of heartache. You know, you don't ever know what's going to happen. You just got to hit record. Like, and so the people that are podcasters that hit record, I always, I admire the courage that it takes just to have a podcast and and you did yours well over a year. So that's awesome. And today we're going to be talking about the impact of money. And just as a topic, like when you think about that, like the impact of money, just give us a little, how would you, before we even get into the questions, just talk about that in itself, the impact of money. Tell us about it. Yeah. I mean, I think I didn't really realize this until I was in a lot of therapy around money issues. 
and then starting my own firm. And I realized how much our cultural upbringing, our childhood, so many factors impact our views on money. And sometimes those views shape healthy habits around money and sometimes they don't, right? So the impact of money is such a crucial role in terms of how we make financial decisions and how we set ourselves up for success, however we define it. So it's really important as a person trying to manage our household finances, as well as an advisor, to really understand that impact and where it's coming from. Because until we can address that impact and how it impacts our decisions, it's really hard to make progress going forward. So I think there's always people are frustrated. They're like, I'm bad with money, et cetera. But it's, it may not be they're bad with money. Maybe they're these underlying things that they just haven't addressed. That's really the hindrance and the barrier for them to make better financial decisions for themselves. That's the impact of money. I like it because I think that it's a compounding impact, if you will, right? So if you don't understand how important the impact is and then you make this decision and then you beat yourself up and then you just label yourself something because you didn't understand the initial impact and then the compound impact made you label yourself something that you probably shouldn't have labeled yourself. Am I following you right on that? that (laughs) And actually, when you talked about financial education and how it's a continuous learning process, the impact of money is as well, right? Just because we address what our underlying maybe issues or triggers are doesn't mean that we fixed it, right? It's always coming up. It's always something that we're dealing with, we're managing. And so that continues to evolve and be, I, I would say, a learning process, including for myself as I continue to get older. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love that. I love that. So one of the things I wanted to talk to you about was how our upbringing, culture, ethnicity impacts our relationship with money. Talk to us about that. Yeah. So I'll describe it from, I guess, my perspective and my upbringing. So I'm Indian, uh, children of immigrants. So my parents, you know, immigrated here. There's some iteration of the story that you hear, right? Like, My father came with, in his case, $7 in his pocket. In other cases, it might be $2, right? So there's a lot in terms of how I was raised in terms of money, right? Money meant security, and my parents were always worried about it. I grew up very middle class, but I think with the immigrant mentality, there's always concern that it'll go away and you have to be very cautious and you have to take every mechanism and protection you can to save your money. So the goal was always to save save your money, don't overspend, don't overindulge. So that impacted me as an adult. I had a very hard time spending money. I still have a hard time spending money. And I feel the most comfortable when I have a lot of cash sitting in a savings account, which we all know as advisors is not the best thing to do. So, you know, understanding those things about how I viewed money, how money to me was a source of security, but I came from a scarcity mindset, really impacted how I made decisions when I was a young adult. And on the flip side, my husband came from a very similar background. He was raised by a single mom. His father passed away when he was very young, also grew up very middle class. And he has probably the exact opposite outlook as me, right? I think because of what he experienced, he doesn't worry about it. He's like, the money will come. The money will be there. I'm not worried about it. I'm going to enjoy my life. And I'm not going to worry about what's going to happen 5, 10, 20 years from now. So it's also kind of a commingling of our different similar cultural values, but different ways on how we view money and then how we navigated that through our marriage. And so that's something that I consistently see. And it doesn't have to be a child of immigrants or immigrants. I think almost everyone has some sort of underlying story about money that where they come from in terms of how they make their decisions and process. I like it. And I think sometimes we don't think of the impact of our own culture in our relationship and in our relationship with money. And more importantly, as you stated, I think 
as I'm thinking about this, you know, you're talking about your relationship and the different impacts or the different, you know, dynamics between your husband and you. And it's funny because I think, you know, think we naturally are drawn to someone that we want to be more like. And you always see couples like I'm the one that's like, ah, we should, you know, it's kind of like my wife and I are just very similar in the way we look at things. But there's some things about how we spend money, which is different. You know what I mean? And it's funny to see the blending of those two and like mm-hmm. how you guys are blending that in there. And I love that. That's awesome. So what is one of the things that I guess this is just something, just an extra question, like an add on on this one. What do you think has been one of the things impacts in your relationship with money and your spouse? What impacts have that had, like that relationship? Yeah, um, <laughs> that was rocky. <laughs> Especially, I mean, a relationship always has, you know, challenges and it's how you face them and approach them as a couple that really helps build on that strength of the marriage. So for us, I'm the financial advisor. I always manage the finances. I'm also the one that's very conservative and doesn't like to spend money. So Mm -hmm. my husband at the time had no idea, you know, I was managing everything and he's just like, oh, I wanted to buy like X, Y, Z. And it wasn't even that much. Mm -hmm. And I was like, no, we don't have any money to do that. And then after a while, he was Mm -hmm. like, you keep saying we don't have money, but I just looked at the bank account and we have money. So what is going on? And so I was going through all of my assumptions and he's just like, do you run these ridiculous assumptions for your clients? And I was like, no, I'm much more rational. I can't be rational with my own money. And that was, that was kind of the light bulb that went off for him and I. So the way we addressed it is we brought in an advisor, a good friend of mine. And I wanted to make sure the advisor was someone who my husband could trust. So Trace Tisler with Epic Financial, and I've known him for quite some time. So I wanted to make sure it was a good fit for him so that he didn't feel like the person was always on my side or his side, right? Someone truly unbiased, which as advisors, that's what we're here to do is to provide that unbiased opinion. And that made honestly all the difference in how we approached money and just having a more healthier relationship. You know, we just went through a major renovation. We spent a lot of money. So of course, I'm stressing out about money because that's Mm -hmm. what I do. So as soon as I start talking about money, my husband will say, let's book a meeting with Trace. And when we talk to him, he gives it to us straight. It's unbiased. He runs the numbers and it helps me because I have someone else looking at my numbers to make sure that, you know, we're going to be okay. And it helps my husband because he actually finally has an awareness of what's going on with us financially. So at times when I tell him like, no, we can't do this because we really should save money. He now understands that because he has insight. So I think it's just a dynamic of us trying to make it work and then realizing when we couldn't make it work with our personality types in terms of how we view money, making sure we brought in like the help and support we needed so that we can continue to have a healthy relationship around money, because that can be the number one cause of conflict in a marriage, right, Mm -hmm. is money. So I wanted to make sure that we were addressing that appropriately, especially because I know I have triggers and emotional trauma when it comes to money. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really cool to see you take the same advisory approach in your marriage. So you go, like, I think about this. We've been watching basketball here, playoffs going on. And I'm not sure if you're a basketball fan. I hope you are. If you are, you should like the Warriors. So, but what we're seeing when we go in this, or any sport for that matter, you can take Tiger Woods for golf. I like that. I like that analogy too. Tiger Woods is, you know, we know how great he is. He had a coach. He had a coach. Michael Jordan had a coach. Kobe Bryant had a coach. LeBron James has a coach. Steph Curry. And the Warriors have a coach. And what do they do when they take the timeout? They call a timeout, Anjali, and they sit there and they talk about fundamentals. 
And so they talk about fundamentals. We need to make sure we're passing the ball here. We need to do this. We need to do that. Tiger, you just need to, you know, just take it back slow and swing through whatnot, whatever it is that they get back to the fundamentals. And it isn't it crazy that you guys go through this whole renovation, everything, and you go speak to your person and he takes you back to the fundamentals, right? We're good. We're okay. We got this. We check this box, this and that. And so this is why it's so important to have that person. If you're not working with someone, <laughs> it doesn't have to be me. It doesn't have to be Anjali, but find someone that you can work with because you need that coach. Everyone has a coach and the better you are, like we know Tom Brady has a good coach because he's performed and he's done this. I'm using all these sports analogies. You probably, do you like sports? No, you're not into sports. I do. But okay, I was like, sometimes people aren't into it, but I'm like, ah, I got to find someone. I know all the names you mentioned. So okay. Good, good, good. <laughs> But I think about that when I think about personal finances. And I think we, you know, we don't call ourselves coach, we call ourselves advisors, but we're like coaches. Exactly. So as someone that has a business and your personal finances, tell us how you bridge the gap between business and personal. Maybe not yourself, but just how to talk about that. Yeah. So I'm definitely the more risk averse person in the relationship, which probably makes sense with my upbringing and my husband is not. So he was the one who encouraged me to, to start my own firm. So before I made that leap, I made sure we had enough of a cushion. My husband was reduced. So he increased his schedule so I could reduce mine. For a long time, we were kind of like, he was full-time, I was part-time and vice versa while we were trying to figure out what we wanted to do next. And then I actually worked part-time at an accounting firm until I felt ready. And then I decided I had to just make the leap and be 100% committed to the business in order to make it grow. So it just, it really depends on the person, right? And their personal finances as well. So a lot of times people start businesses and they may not take a deep look at their personal finances, but as a small business owner, your personal finances are very intermingled with the business finances, not commingling, but they both impact each other significantly. So in order to make sure you're setting yourself up for success in terms of starting a business, you want to make sure that you kind of have all of your back to the fundamentals taken care of on your personal side. So you're not forced to make decisions out of desperation. You can really make decisions based on what's best for the business and then hopefully for you personally, right? So that's why when I work with a lot of my small business owners, it's just really helping them understand, right? We always start with the personal planning to really understand where they're at currently. And then we leverage into the business to see what's happening. And then it's helpful because a lot of times, small business owners, the business is there. It's there to make an impact in other things. But the core reason of that business is to provide for them financially on the personal side. So, you know, when we have those goals set on the personal side, then we can look at the business with a different set of eyes and say, okay, this is what you've told me you want to do on the personal side. How do we do that when your business is structured like this, right? So it, it provides people with that goal and that mission and with the business you know this, I know this, anyone who's run a business knows this, you're kind of hustling, hustling, hustling till you get to a point where you have some financial independence and you're getting that income stream. And then it's helpful because then you transition from not only is this just something that's providing me with income, but now I can have an impact. And that's the really cool part with business owners is really when they get to that impact part, like what is their goal? What's their mission? What are they going to do next? That's really fun and exciting. And so you can get to that point a lot sooner if you kind of have all of your fundamentals set up correctly so that you're really making the best business decisions for not only yourself, but also your personal finances. That's so critical. It's one of those things that, you know, as you're talking to business owners, having them separate the business and the personal finances, 
that is something that like you're talking about not co it's interwoven but it's not co-mingled <laughs> if you will like one's gonna you know it's, it's gonna affect each other and so i think even for you know for us as business owners like having that being able to make decisions in the business to make the business not just like a cash cow because i know some people will treat it like that and they'll you know it's just cash 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 and they'll just try to take it and not really understand the finances of their business and i've seen it happen like you know just spend money because it's there and not understand like okay so there's there's different things that that money has to be set aside for like you will have to pay taxes on that money <laughs> so <laughs> you basically put some money away for that because that's like the alphabet boys as they like to call them must they will come get you if you don't take care of that so you, and that's irs if you've never heard that term the alphabet boys so i think for business owners in the beginning, you're just trying to grind and make it, right? So obviously the business is the personal and the personal is the business. But once you get to that level where you can really begin to separate, like if you're an LLC or if you have Mass Corp or what have you, when you can make yourself an employee mm -hmm. of your corporation, that should be a goal. <laughs> Not to spend as much money as you can, but get a W-2 from the company that you own. That should be like one of your goals. And I think that is when you begin to level up, you begin to look at your business like a separate entity from your personal life. And I think that once you do that, that should be a goal. And once you do that, then you'll see the business just grow. It continues to grow. And you can really trackable growth now. Now you can see a little better. Talk about this. This is something that I think all of us want to do, need to do, and want to do better. So how do you, teaching children about money, talk to us about teaching children about money. Yeah, that's uh, so tough. <laughs> and it's something that my husband and I struggle with, a lot of our friends struggle with, and a lot of my clients struggle with right now, especially because there's a big dichotomy between how we were all raised and grown up, right? I still have a trigger when it comes to Doc Martens because in high school, that was the shoe everyone had. And I just really wanted a pair. And my parents were like, we're not spending $100 on a pair of shoes, right? And even now when I see a Doc Martens, I'm always like a little bitter about it. But there's something about that, you know, not getting everything you want. It teaches you to have grit. It teaches you to, you know, work hard to be, I'm very goal oriented because when I was younger, I was like, well, I want to be able to like do these things and buy things and stuff like that. So I'm going to work really hard. I'm going to get an education, hopefully get a good job, et cetera. And my husband and my financial situation is very different from how, you know, my parents raised my sister and I. So as it comes to my daughter, it's really trying to balance how to raise her to have a healthy relationship around money. Mm -hmm. And even though we can buy everything for her to not do that, right? So it's a lot of times like I started teaching her very early when we're in a store and she's like, can I have that? And I was like, no, it's mongu. Mongu means expensive in Gujarati. And she's like, oh, but can't you just put it on that card thing, right? Sure. At like four, she's mm -hmm. asking. And I was like, well, you know, we have to pay for that card. And that's why mama and dad are work. And so that we can buy things and just explaining that to her. So a good friend of ours was in town and wanted to get my daughter a birthday present because her birthday is coming up. So she took her to a store and my friend pointed something out. She's like, do you like that, Nyla? And the lady brought the, it's like this is a cute little stroller. And so the first thing she asked me, she's like, mama, it looks too expensive. I can pick something else, right? So I was so proud like, mm -hmm. of that. So I think for me, what happened was, and this is really common in the Indian community is that we don't talk about money or if money is talked about, it's talked about in terms of possessions and things. And it's a very visual representation of wealth. And what I wanted to do, and I told my husband is I want us to talk openly about money 
and not have it be so taboo. I think in general, I find one of the biggest issues we have as a society is that we don't openly talk about money in a healthy way. It's mm-hmm. always, it's taboo or it's a comparison or it's, I have this, you don't have that. But in reality, we should have more open conversations about money, our stresses around money. And that's what I want to have with my daughter is just a healthy relationship around money. My friend, Matt Gardner has a book called The Four Money Bears. I really love that because it does teach those concepts of the things you can do with money. So those are the kind of things we instill. So I try not to overwhelm her, but it's just trying to kind of set up like healthy habits around money and then not making her understand that she can't get everything she wants. So I think that will evolve. I think for my clients who have kids that are in that junior high, high school age group, that's when I think is a really nice time to introduce the concept of investing and time value money and things like that. And that's where I do little Zoom calls with them because sometimes they don't want to talk to their parents about that stuff, but they might be open to talking to a professional. And it comes back to this concept of financial education. The earlier we can educate our children around this, the easier it will be for them to make better financial decisions when they're adults and they really have that income and money coming into them. I totally agree. You said something in the beginning when you first started talking, you talk about those Doc Martens. I remember those. And for me, it was Jordan's. Oh, man. I'm telling you right now. We all have our shoe story. (laughs) It's like that one thing, right? (laughs) Yes. So it's one of those things that I was like, I wonder if only my kids are going to get bit by the shoe bug, right? Like this half like love shoes. And so my daughter bit. She wants all the George. She wants. So it's like, okay, so we talked about this. We talk about education, right? I said, so if you want to buy some Nikes, some Jordans, you need to buy some Nike stock. Mm-hmm. So how much is a share of Nike stock? So I already, how much is it? So I go find out how much it is. All right. So tell me how much it is. So if you buy these shoes, which one's better? So if you're going to buy these shoes, you have to be able to buy the same amount of stock. So come up with half. I'll get the other half and we'll go buy something. That's something that we talked about. But what it does is it says, okay, so if you believe in this company, this is something that I tell my clients, why not tell it, teach it to your kids? If you believe in the company, then we'll buy some, own some of it, <laughs> own the company that you believe in because you're not going to stop wearing. I mean, I, here I am, you know, in my 40s, still loving Jordans. Nike's getting all my money. I might as well, <laughs> I might as well own some of it. No, so I, I think, think that's so great. I love that. So it's something that we kind of try to make it fun, right? And once you see those things, like what you're telling them about, you know, about expensive, about cost, you know, one of the things that the kids, when you're talking about high school kids, we used to do at, I used to go speak at the high schools all the time. I actually cut my teeth speaking at the high schools. So we would go in there and I would talk about finance, right? And one of the teachers who was one of my buddies, he would put together a budget thing that they had to do, which was really, really cool. So they had to do a budget before I came into the classroom. And so then we would talk through the budget that they had, like, you know, he'd give them like a minimum wage job. They'd have to pay rent. They'd have to pay PGA, like their electric bill, this and that. So he come in and it was like one of the funnest things ever. We go in and I was like, okay, so what jumped out at you from the budget? They're like, I have to eat every day. And it costs money to eat. They're like, you know, we want to go out and eat. And they were just going through these little things. And I think that real life application, even though it was just on paper of them taking the money and applying it to different things and seeing how much was left, they're like, you know, I don't even have any money to save. How am I going to save? And then they'd have some kids that you could hear, well, you're supposed to save first. So I saved $10. It's all I had, but I saved it. You know what I mean? And those kind of conversations about it, I think I find myself having those same conversations with my adult clients. Mm-hmm. Right. Because yeah, that's a great exercise. actually. <laughs> so, <laughs> but yeah, um, I mean, like it's the thing where you have to be reminded, right? 
we learn how to budget once and we're always going to do it. There's so much other external forces. They're just, it's constantly, I mean, I'm doing the same thing, constantly reminding people like, oh, where's, and I love the concept of saving first. That's how I like to do cash flow. That's what I like to do with my clients. So I think that's those kids that we make good financial advisors one day. <laughs> I hope so. I'm like, oh, man, we did that for a couple of years, but it was, it was really, really cool to see the kids and watch them grow from that outstanding job on the way. I like the way that you, you communicated it to your children. Cause I, I love that. You know what I mean? You communicate. I think every family has their own like culture within the family. And right. I think that family culture of being able to have those open money conversations, like, and it's not taboo. I think that's so important to apply that into the daily living with your children. As you know, this is the minority money podcast where we're changing the complexion of wealth. Anjali, what motivates, inspires you to grow, learn and lead? Yeah. You know, I had that question and I was like, that's actually a pretty, <laughs> pretty intense <laughs> question. I think part of it is my personality type. I don't like to feel like I'm just standing still and not evolving, progressing or growing. And, you know, when I hit kind of that five-year mark in my business, I really did start to look at impact. And one of the big things that I would love to see is the complexion of money and especially in our profession. I think there's so many people out there that are looking for an advisor who understands them, who looks like them, and we just don't have the representation in our profession. So part of that is the reason why I'm driven to push and make change and the reason why I continue to try to grow my business because I want there to be more people like me. I want people to see like, she can do it. I think I can do it as well, right? So that's kind of my motivation. I want my daughter to see like, women can do everything that they want to do, right? They can run successful businesses. And I want her to have that as a role model so that when she's getting older and deciding what to do, she doesn't feel like a hindrance in terms of what her opportunity and growth potential really is. And that's a powerful, deep answer. I love it. So then I got to ask this one. I told you how this one goes. So how has your family supported you on your journey? So my husband's the one who pushed me to do this, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I would say he's been the biggest supporter in everything that I do. So he's the one who encouraged me and he's the one who, you know, we made sacrifices as a family to make this work and he never complained about it. He was always supportive. So he's really been there. I think, I think you need some sort of support system if you're going to have your own business, whether it's a spouse, whether it's other family members. I have a really great study group that has been my support system as well. So just having those people there to help motivate you because running a business is a lot of blood, sweat, and tears, as you probably know well. So just having the support system is really helpful to get you through kind of those more tough phases of the business growth cycle. Awesome. Awesome. If you could offer a piece of advice to our listeners, what would that be? My piece of advice is to take risks when you can earlier in your career. It's so much easier to bounce back and it's so rewarding to take those risks and see what you're really capable of. So I always encourage risk. Doesn't mean you can't do it when you're older. It's just, it's a lot. We're more hesitant to do so when we're younger. It's always easier to do it younger because you just have more time on your side to bounce back if need be or pivot to something else if that's where your journey takes you. Fire, fire. Love it. Nothing to add to that. You heard it here. I told you. I'm telling you, you guys know when I say it, when I tell you, it's going to be some fire for you to listen to. We got fire for you to listen to. So Anjali, thank you for coming on to the show. Absolutely love this conversation. Thank you for the work that you're doing, being a, you know, loving every aspect of life and shout out to your husband too. When we're down in LA, maybe we can link up. Maybe we can go. Yes, to yes, yes, definitely. Like, like, We'd love to host you and your family. Nice. So once again, like I said, thanks for coming on the show and any way that we can support, please let us know. 
if people want to get more of Anjali, I don't know if you're active on social medias, but if there's any social media that you're active on that you'd allow people to follow you, which yes. go ahead and let them out. <laughs> let them out. You can come to my website, fitadvisors.com. If you want to check out my podcast, Money Checkup, it's on all the streaming services. Instagram handle is underscore Anjali Jarawala. And my Twitter handle is Anjali Fit. There we go. There it is there. So. As you all know, this is the Minority Money Podcast. I am your host, Emlyn Miles Mattingly. Until next time. Another great showdown, but it doesn't have to stop there. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on whatever podcast app you're listening on now and give it a good rating, would you? If you feel really connected to the podcast, which I hope you do, find our Facebook community, Minority Money VIP, to support and be supported by others just like you. And again, we're glad to have you. While this podcast is meant to inspire and motivate you to live your best life, it can't be your complete one-stop shop. I know, I know, that really sucks. But I don't know anything about your specific situation. So please reach out to an attorney or CPA, or you can reach out to me, a financial planner, to help you with your specific situation. To get a hold of us, please reach us at fan at Minority Money Podcast. That's F-A-N at Minority Money Podcast, so we can get to know you there. Thanks for being here and until next time.